Hi, this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to May I Ask You a Question. In the second episode with Ken Flower, we discuss life after getting his undergraduate degree and lessons he learned while ministering in Southern California. As usual, Ken's contact info is in show notes. Thanks again for listening. Um, talk, talk to a little bit more about just uh, discipleship just seems to be a huge value for you, like a huge emphasis yeah. just in, in your perspective and how um, ministry works. And um, it's, I, I, I guess I want to qualify it in the sense that like, it's not like you don't value other things about ministry and, and right. church life, but it just seems to have been a huge impact upon you. Right. Just as you've mentioned, some mentors, if I could call them that. Yeah, um, yeah. Like what, why does that stand out to you as such a high priority or value? So I think, yeah, maybe I should define it even so um i would say discipleship at its core is following jesus and helping other people follow jesus and like that to me is what it's all about like there is there is no to me it's like discipleship should never be a program of the church it's just that's what we do like Mm -hmm. that's what the church does. a way of life right it's a way of life yeah and so um there's a lot of things that are part of discipleship, but like that's just at the core, it's following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. And, um, that like, that's what, that's what we want to be about, Mm -hmm. I guess. And, and that's, um, that's what we want to give our lives to. And so, uh, now certainly how that fleshes out in terms of how you do that, there's a lot of, we've learned a lot, I think, in mm-hmm. terms of how you do that, how you structure a community that focuses on that and what barriers can be to that and all of that. But at the core, like, that's really what we want to be doing. That's what, that's what we want to, that's what we want for our kids is we want for them to follow Jesus because that's where life is found mm-hmm. and nowhere else. And so, you know, our, our desire for them is that they would be disciples of Jesus and that our role right now as parents is to disciple them, to help them follow Jesus and, and that happens before conversion and it happens after conversion. You know what I mean? Like sure. Jesus with his disciples, you know, it's hard to look in the, in the gospel stories and to pinpoint when the disciples conversion happened. Right. Like, I don't think you can. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. But the whole way Jesus is discipling them. And yeah. so I, I kind of view it the same way. Like we're discipling people to Jesus. And then after conversion, we're discipling people continuing to help them follow Jesus. Yeah. And that's how we view it with our kids. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's what it's all about for, for us. And it's not, I, I don't, I, I feel like it's not anything special. It's just like, that's what Jesus has called us to is make disciples. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I, you know, it starts with me. Like I, I'm wanting to be a person that is, walking with Jesus every day mm-hmm. and is, is with him and is becoming more like him. Like a, an, appre- an apprentice becomes like the master. That's part of what discipleship is, is becoming more like Jesus. And so mm-hmm. I want to become more like Jesus every day and then be able to, and then to do the things that he did and what he calls us to do. And so um, it starts with just being with him. Mm-hmm. And then as we are with him, we become more like him and then we do the things he calls us to do. And that's, that's essentially, that's all discipleship is. And Mm. so we want to do that with our family, but we also want to be a part of a church that that's what the church is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that, I mean, that's, 
the, the mo- that's why the most impactful times in my lives were when people were really helping us see Jesus more clearly and wanting to help us know how to follow him. Yeah. Um, between from my parents to thinking the time in our dorm to then when we went to uh, work at this church in Corona. And the reason that season was so huge for us was not, I mean, it was really cool to get to do junior high ministry, but it was, we also had this older couple uh, 10 years older than us that were pouring into us. He was the youth pastor mm. and um, Beth and I were getting, we were newly married, no kids, getting to watch them and see how they follow Jesus as a family and how they raised their young kids. And so how they discipled their kids and we're learning from them a ton. And so that time in Corona, we were there for six years was really, really impactful. Mm-hmm. But again, it was because of the relationships and the discipleship that was happening there. And like, we got to see how they followed Jesus and what it looked like fleshed out in their marriage and in their parenting of their three-year-old and in their, um, and in ministry because we did ministry together with, uh, with students. And so that was just a really, really, I mean, I did seminary at the time and seminary was great. I loved it. Um, I like to learn (laughs) for the most part, you know, it was, I, I enjoy that kind of thing, but, really even more impactful than seminary was that that ministry and and getting to learn discipleship with this other couple and and i guess too like uh part of how i hear you talking about it it, it's not a program per se but it is uh, like there is a fundamental aspect just generally to any organization but especially within the church that there's these these individual relationships on which an organization is built and especially within the church and then there's like life patterning and habit forming and right. just learning how to uh, learning how certain people manifest right. uh, their faith um, and then you know maybe for a while you you may uh, uh, mimic that habit yeah. but then at some point it becomes more of your own and yeah. you just you yeah. live it out as as it's yeah. unique to you and Beth um, because yeah I, I appreciate you defining it because discipleship maybe for some um, People, they may just think like, oh, yeah, how do we uh, execute this program or, you know, right. uh, institute this program of discipleship um, as opposed to – it sounds like you're fairly intentional about making it a way of life of just like, okay, what individuals are around us that we can impact, right. that we can talk to and just live life with and not necessarily right. do anything that attempts to be extraordinary. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a church has to be – a church has to a say it's not a program, it's what we're about as a church. Like it's not one of our programs that we do. Discipleship is just like it's core. It's who it's who we are. It's what it's what we're all about. And so there is you know it's not a sep, it's not a side ministry. And then I think the church also then has to think about everything that they do. How does it fit into that? Mm-hmm. So from when we gather on Sunday to when we go out during the week. And whatever we do in between, and and every program we do, every ministry we do, how does it how does it fit into forming disciples of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And does it help form disciples of Jesus, or does it not? If it doesn't, then why are we doing it? But if it does, like, and, and you got to be in t- like, we can't just say, all right, our goal is to make disciples, but have no plan, sure, because <laughs> then it's not going right. to happen either. It's you know, it only happens if we make room for it and plan it. But um, but everything fits into that, right? Everything fits into that. Well, and and maybe maybe you've 
already answered the question or you'll answer it similarly to something you've already said. But uh, as you try to do it and as you disciple others who aren't as familiar with kind of um, with that lifestyle. Yeah. And if somebody were to ask you, like, how do I know if I'm doing this? Yeah. Because it's not like yeah. you're building something. And it's like, okay, cool. Cool. Here's your coffee table. It's right. done. You right, know? Right, right, right. I think, so I think the the key thing, part of it is you got to have certain specific environments where discipleship is going to happen. And if those environments don't exist, then you're probably not doing it. So one is there's got to be people living in community with other people. And you could call it community group. You can call it a small group. You can call it a missional community. <laughs> but it, there's whatever you <laughs> the call label is it, doesn't it really is, yeah. matter. Yeah. You've got to be living in a community of people that aren't like you. Mm. That's the environment that Jesus has created. His church is create. He's called out people from different backgrounds, you know, tongues, tribes, languages, you know, story, all different stories together into this new people, and that's His place where He wants to form His people to become more like Him. And so, if we're not in community, if we're just showing up for a an event once a week, then we're probably not being discipled or making disciples. So that's that's an environment that has to be there. But I would also say gathering together to be shaped in the story of the gospel, which is I would say what Sunday is all about, mm. is you know to be to come into a liturgy, a sto- where we're intentionally planning a time together, a gathering where we will rehearse the gospel, be shaped in the story of the gospel. Um, be reminded of it and rejoice in it and celebrate it, that that's also a crucial environment for my discipleship. And if I'm never doing that, mm. then that's where I'm probably also, my discipleship is being stunted. I'm not, I'm not growing. And so I think there's core environments that you got to say, are these, do I have these? Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say a smaller group, uh, uh, even a group of just a few people to, you know, two other people, uh, ideally of the same gender that you real that really know you and know your heart mm-hmm. and your your the idols that you wrestle with and can ask you hard questions I think I think is a is a really really important environment to have in your life so I, I think you need to make sure there are environments and then and then you just other than that, then there's means through which Jesus uses to form us mm-hmm. and so these are the I mean the the churches, use these means for centuries, right? Yeah. And I think in recent years, a lot of these have kind of taken on a bad name. We, we think of disciplines as a bad thing, I sure. think. But it's, th- these are the grace-fueled means that God uses to shape us into more and more into the image of Jesus. So things like scripture reading and prayer and rest or Sabbath or uh, just solitude time alone with god mm-hmm. um, i think these are really really important for shaping us into disciples of jesus to forming us like yeah. we need to just be with him and through that he forms us more and more into his image and so i think if you're if you're in those environments and you're intentionally pursuing those discipleship environments and you're pursuing those means and, and asking for God to make you more like Jesus, then He's he, He's faithful to work through to work through those things to form us, mm. and we start to see, you know, we we then see the fruit. Like right. we know it's happening because we see 
love and joy. We, right. we see ourselves becoming people of peace right. and love and joy. Like less, those environments. Less anxious. Yeah. Right. More more willing to love someone that's different than me mm. and is hard for me to love. Um, that's not natural for me. We we see ourselves being transformed and changed through through those. And so it's a work of the Spirit, entirely a work of the Spirit, and it's God's grace, but He uses these means and these environments. And if we don't pursue these means and these environments, then like we can't say, well, why is it not happening? Right, sure. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, like the, the means and the environments is kind of, to use the the fruit tree analogy, that's the watering, the pruning. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of the, the, those are the disciplines that you have to continue in. And I, I've more recently come to conclude, or at least begun to conclude, that uh, disciplines and legalism, like we want to have disciplines and we want to have habits that are regular, but where it begins to become legalistic is when it begins to lose its sense of purpose and its uh, I mean, soul is a little too vague. But like when you, when you, when you kind of uh, forget why you're doing them in the first place, yeah. right? And yeah. it, it's part of the church's um, um, opportunity, I guess, yeah. both within the leadership and the congregation to yeah. say, hey, let's not forget why we're doing this. Yeah. It's, it's worth doing. Otherwise, it does feel rote. It feels yeah. kind of like, oh, now we're just just yeah. going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. D- Dallas Willard was a philosopher and teacher down in Southern California. He's passed away, but he, he's written a lot about this, and he says that grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Mm. And so if, if if we are trying to earn something, yes, grace is opposed to that. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't earn anything by doing these things. But grace is not opposed to effort. In fact, grace fuels our effort, mm. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it, it creates our effort. And so we should be putting effort towards becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. Like our discipleship takes effort. Right. You don't, you know, the same way an Olympian doesn't go out and run uh, an Olympic time marathon, you know, the day after starting their training, but right. it's after years of training and diet and everything because yeah. it takes time to become that kind of person that can do that. And right. So it, it's, it's the same for us. And it can feel the same, right? The effort can feel yeah. the same as trying to earn. Yeah. And then they become disciplines because sometimes we just simply don't want to do yeah. it. <laughs> but I think, so the pro, not a problem, but I think, you know, there's gospel-centered everything, right? There's gospel-centered you know that that term has been used for a million book titles and <laughs> um, and and I love the term. I mean, gospel centrality for me it was it was in Southern California. It was our church in Corona where we first started learning about that, and that was a huge for me. It was another kind of watershed moment of realizing that I never move past the gospel. That I need Jesus every single day. Mm. Um, that that was really really helpful for me to come to a point where I realized that. The gospel fuels everything, mm. and it shapes everything, and I never move past it. But I think in the wake of, we talk so much about gospel centrality, and, and with that, we talk about our core problem is our belief, mm. right? That that um, my my sin is a result of my unbelief, and it and I need to when I'm when I'm sinning, I'm not trusting the gospel. I'm believing a lie. Mm. And I 100% agree with that, but um, we can't always just believe our way back. Sure. Into yeah. does, does that make sense? So like, yeah. 
the, what, what then we've said to people and what I've said to myself is I just need to believe what's true. And that is true. Like I do need, so to, to, to back up, whenever I do, whenever I sin, whether it's an action or an attitude or a thought, there's something I'm not believing about the gospel. There's, I've, I've, believe, I've stopped believing what's true and I've believed some kind of lie. For, for example, I believe that to, make, to be happy, I need people to like me. And so I need to gain their acceptance. And so that's led to whatever it is that I've done. Mm-hmm. So I believed a lie. The answer is that I need to now come back and believe what's true. I think the problem is, though, we often just tell people, don't believe that lie, believe what's true, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Like, just just believe better. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that's the answer. And I think what where this kind of resurgence of focus on the disciplines is really helpful is this the disciplines, these uh, prayer and scripture reading mm-hmm. and, and silence, solitude, Sabbath, um, fasting all these disciplines are means that help us come back to belief and and i think that's where i think a lot of times that's what we're missing is we're Mm -hmm. telling people to believe better yes yeah i mean it's kind of like what we're talking about earlier it's the the unthinking or kind of uh potentially lazy although lazy assumes a certain motive but it's it's like bankruptcy doesn't happen because of bankruptcy bankruptcy happens because of a bunch of habits that yeah. led to the bankruptcy. Right. And the unbelief is more of the result of maybe habits or even circumstances right. that could uh, right. pull someone into a level of unbelief. Right. But then, you know, similarly to the finance analogy, like yeah. saving back up again and paying off your debt or whatever is what gets you out of bankruptcy, yeah. not <laughs> not yeah. unbankruptcy, so to speak. Right, right. And and our our beliefs are shaped by our habits. Right. So mm. like what we do shapes what we actually believe, what we love. And sure. There's a great book. Um, you are what you love by James K.A. Smith. And his, he's building off the work of St. Augustine. But the whole the big point is um, we are people whose affections and loves are shaped by our habits. Mm. That's how we're built and designed as yeah. people and how we're created. And so to get back to a point of we can say intellectually, I know this is true, but we don't we don't live out of our intellectual understanding we live out of our affection yes <laughs> right yeah. and, and our loves and our desires right and so the problem with saying this sin is a result of your unbelief so you need to believe what's true as we're treating people just like they're intellectual beings that can just identify the lie mm-hmm. replace mm-hmm. it with a truth and then they're good to go right but their desire and affection maybe is not affected and changed and that's where like their affection has to change and they do need to believe what's true. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. that's where these habits come in and help begin al- along with the truth. That, that, in fact, that's what these habits are is they're bringing truth from their mind down into their heart and right. helping it embed there. And, um, anyway, I mean, no, it's, it's true. This. I mean, it happens in other arenas of life, like whether it's, uh, it happens in other arenas, of li- arenas of life, but it just happens to um, also be true for the most valuable arena of yeah. life, which is faith. Yeah, totally. And so, like, you know, with finances, you save a little bit every day, the discipline or the every paycheck, whatever, yeah. and at some point you're going to end up with, um, you know, a pile of money. Yeah, a billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> soon enough. Or, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you hear about people like, yeah, I've been doing the same thing for 20 years, and then right. I was an overnight success right. type of a thing. Like, right. I had the habits before, and yeah. it just, this 
eventually resulted totally. co- compounding yeah. over time. Yeah. yeah. So um, tell me then about uh, just the church in Corona, kind of some of the things you learned there and then how you eventually ended up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So we, we were in Corona from 2010, I'm sorry, 2004 to 2010. 2010 is when we moved. And I think the biggest thing there, so there was a couple, we, um, we got to live life with another family that was in do ministry with, uh, that were about 10 years older than us. They'd been married 10 years longer, um, had young kids. And so we were new in our marriage and got to really, uh, as friends, but also in a lot, in a lot of ways being mentored by them, got to just learn from them and see how they figured out life, how they raised, how they discipled their kids, how they, um, pursued each other in their marriage. And, and we really, in a lot of ways, um, kind of saw everything. I mean, they really invited us into their lives and into their homes. So we got to learn from that. And I think, that was really, really helpful for us and just seeing um, all the ways that God was working in their life, but, you know, even in the messiness and in the mm. sin and in the brokenness and all of that. And so that was really, really helpful for us. And they also were just became, became really, really dear friends for us and still are um, really close friends for us. So that was a, that was a huge part of Corona. And the other was just getting to learn ministry doing, you know, using my time and my energy and all of my work week to be able to invest in trying to disciple at, at first junior high students and also the leaders that I had, um, was investing in the, the men and women that were coming alongside and helping mentor these students. I got to spend a lot of time investing in them. And then later on, uh, I focused on overseeing all of our student ministries and, specifically focused on high school and college students and it was really really a, just a, a sweet time and a, a just a fun time because you were on staff there you were paid i was full time the yeah, yeah they freed me up to be able to do it full time and to do seminary at the same time and um and so i, I just learned a lot through that mm-hmm. um you know probably too much to unwrap all here but it was it was like the first just really hands-on full-time like my mm. role my job was to really create an environment uh, where alongside the parents we were going to be discipling these kids yeah. and and investing in the leaders that would help help us do that because it couldn't just be me i mean there was a lot of students so we we really needed strong leaders but also then uh, doing a lot of teaching yeah. um, and a lot of uh, did a lot of teaching over those years which was really helpful for me in terms of developing those skills and kind of that muscle Mm. for me. Um, And, you know, I think someone early on said, if you can learn to preach or teach for junior high students, then like, (laughs) then you can learn to do that for anyone. Like you need to be able to do it for junior high students first. Because there's a level of clarity. Yeah. yeah. Which for me was huge because I can sometimes, not sometimes, often I cannot be clear when I'm trying to explain something. So if I need to take a passage or an idea and boil it down to how does this hit home for a junior high student and and then what is it how does it tangibly affect their world yeah uh, that that was hard work but like really worthwhile for me to learn how to do and i think has helped me to this day like helps you with the polish to your yeah to your and just being able to like get to the point and be yeah. clear yeah be clear about what like what's the main point here yeah and, um, why does it matter 
So yeah, so Corona was really good. Really, that those six years were really, I think, a, a really just foundation time for Beth and I in our marriage, mm-hmm. and getting to learn how to be married and how to how to love each other and pursue each other, but not on our own, but to do that in the in the community that we were in, mm-hmm. um, especially with this these these older friends. It was um, Scott and Melissa were their names. And, okay. Um, getting to do that with them and, and others was really, really a valuable time for us. And towards the end of that, we we knew we wanted to continue serving the church full time, that that was something we thought God was calling us to. And we didn't know what that would look like long term. But Scott and Melissa, who his wife, so Melissa is from Ohio, okay. from the Columbus area, just north of Columbus, about an hour and they had for a long time had been praying about going back to Ohio to plant a church in Columbus. And so we really started talking about that with them pretty early on and yeah. praying about that. And um, about six years in, five, five years in to our time there, they were really seriously starting to make uh, decisions and start pursuing that and invited us to pray about joining them in that. And so we we didn't have this call to Columbus. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really know much about it, but we did desire to uh, both to go and to do ministry with them and also to learn church planting alongside them. So it was, it was kind of a, an affection and a closeness with them. That, yeah. That we really went because, because they were going there, mm-hmm. and we wanted to both partner with them in the church planting but also learn – learn what church planting was like. And um, it just seemed like a great opportunity that God was opening up to go and do that alongside them. Yeah. So that was 2000, at the end of 2010 was when we okay. made the move, packed up. By that time, June, I remember that. June was two. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think we, we spent a few days with you guys before we left. Yeah. And uh-huh. Jackson was six weeks old when we moved. He, <laughs> yeah. was, he was little. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, we headed out to go back for me, back to kind of the side of the country that I grew up on. Yeah. Um, not Ohio, but the East Coast. Did and, it feel familiar in a sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, I mean, that's my my family was in Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, Virginia. So okay. Ohio was right in the heart of all that. Quick detour. What 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 would you say the biggest differences between like Southern California and, and yeah. that side of the country are? Uh, I mean, besides like the obvious, which would be the cost of living is drastically oh, yeah, lower right. in the Midwest than it is in Southern California. The, the big probably would be pace of life because, you know, mm. seasons yeah. force they kind of force you into a different pace yes. in Southern California. You need like one set of clothes in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, you need one set of clothes, and you can pretty much go at the same pace all year long. Yeah. And uh, Ohio, we moved in December, and <laughs> um, and it was, I mean, I remember it was like negative six. Oh, goodness. One of the first Sundays we were there. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's not always that cold, but it, it's cold in the winter, and it just forces everyone hibernates. You don't, you're not all out in the park all winter. Right. and. So it kind of forces you into rhythms and forces you to slow down, which was a good thing. I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we moved end of 2010. Okay. Um, back up real quick. So right before we moved, we, one of the biggest things that we were learning the last few years in, in Corona in California was really, really trying to think through like, what does it mean to be the church? Mm. Um, what, you know, what is like, what is God calling his people to? And uh, we, the church we were part of in Southern California and Corona 
uh, we loved. It was a fantastic community and just we loved the people and the leadership we learned a lot from. Um, but we also, I think, saw some of the uh, – in, in some ways, like it was a, it had become very um, kind of heavy with things that we didn't think were like really accomplishing discipleship. So, mm. like in some ways, program programs and ministry that were started with the goal of discipleship mm-hmm. and with good intentions, um, maybe had become you know in some ways kind of become an end in and of themselves mm. and we felt like we were spending all of our energy and time at the church building and with Christians. And we didn't know any non-believers. We felt like we had Hmm. no relationships outside of the church and that was my job. So like, I feel like I had no relationships outside of the church Hmm. and it just didn't feel healthy. Mm -hmm. Didn't feel like this. It felt like this is not, is this what God called us to? And um, is this what the church is about? And so we really started trying to think and pray about like, what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be the church? And we're learning a lot from some other people in that. And were Scott and Melissa feeling similar yeah, things? Scott okay. and Melissa were very much a part of that conversation and, and just thinking through that with us. And um, there were some, we read a book uh, at that time. It wasn't even published in the U.S. yet. It was just, there was just a U.K. publication called Total Church okay. by a guy named Steve Timmis and Tim Chester co-wrote it. And okay. They really encouraged us, and, and we were listening to a lot of the things that some of the conferences they were at, and really trying to rethink is nothing revolutionary, but just think of the church as um, primarily as God's people living in community together and living on mission. That like God's mm-hmm. people are here for a reason, and we're called to make disciples. And yeah. so the, you know how we pursue living life together in community um, has to be done in a way that invites our neighbors and the people around us to see Jesus through our relationships and through our community. And so we have to be like a people that are outward focused and in, in our neighbors neighborhoods and known by our friends and coworkers and, and people around us and not an insular Sure. Kind of inward focused community. Just like, not like a club. Not a club. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really, really, really revolutionary for us. I mean, it was, we were realizing that we had no relationships that were outside of the church and Mm -hmm. that that was a problem. How am I supposed to make disciples of others and teach students to make disciples when like all my friendships and relationships are inside this Christian community? Yeah. And are there non-believers that know us and know our and see our community and they see our Christian family and that they see Jesus through that? Or are we just totally kind of unknown to the world around us? Yeah. So that was a big, we saw a big like gap there and also saw a need to learn that and grow in that. Was that, uh, sorry, uh, was yeah. that, um, when you say it wasn't revolutionary, but it, in some ways it was, was that, was it, kind of a, a an idea that you realized we haven't really thought through this conceptually at least before yeah. but we see the way that it's manifest here and frankly we'd like to do it differently like yeah it's, it's i think kind of a personal wrestling with like, yeah for sure i think i think it was realizing like i know that every church starts usually not, i guess i can't say every church starts with this but most of the time churches yeah. start with the goal with that goal of like people you know building disciples of jesus and mm-hmm. and Part of that is also wanting people that don't know Jesus to come to know him. So they have that desire and they start the ministries and programs. They start with that in mind, usually. Yeah. 
Um, but I think we had never stopped to like ask. Yeah. And we kind of had continued on with what we were always doing and it, it was a big church. And mm-hmm. so it kind of feels like, can feel like a machine that you just have to keep it running. Right. And versus like the freedom to be able to stop and say, are we doing what God's called us to do? Right. And is the church being formed into the people that we are called to be? Well, there's also the sense too, like, uh, that like when a church is small, it can be easier to have familial relationships with everybody. But then yeah. as it gets bigger, like in some sense, you're kind of left wondering how do we scale that type of a relationship yeah. so that it uh, it can feel small, but it's obviously big, right? Right. And how do you maintain and preserve the the high value of those individual relationships that, again, kind of make up the whole? Right, right, right. And I think, I think for... A lot of churches that were larger, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call our church at that time a mega church, but it was around a thousand people. Yeah. A lot of them in the, I think in the nineties, there was a trend towards either towards starting small groups as a way to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Or before that, maybe it was starting, you did a lot of like smaller, like Bible study fellowships, things that you yeah. try to break, break down into smaller groups and um, that's good. I mean, I think there was good intention in that, but I think we just kept starting more things and we kept giving people more things to do and more compartments mm. yeah. that didn't connect to the rest of their life. Mm. And I think what we realized was we, we need to simplify. We need to like help people see that what Jesus is calling us to isn't complicated. It's like to be in community right. and to do, to be in community in a way that's visible to the world around us and right. isn't separate or cordoned off or, or compartmentalized, but that our neighbors and friends are blessed by our community. They see our, our community. They see our love for each other. The way Jesus says in John 17, that the world will know that he was sent by the father when they see the love of his disciples for each other. And mm-hmm. so like our world needs to see, they need an opportunity to see the church living in community together and to see that up close. And so how are we, how are we like living our lives together as family in a way that our neighbors and people we work with and our friends can see a different kind of love that we have for each other. And, and to that end, it, it, um, it sounds like you were, uh, you had an increasing fear that the programs were distracting from, 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 yeah, because even the though they were started yeah. with probably the uh, the goal of discipleship, I think in some ways we had, and I was a part of that. I mean, I, th- I think we were um, we we were creating. There was so much happening that was just us, just the church together, and there were a lot of good things were happening through that. It wasn't just you know it wasn't just hanging out like we really were trying to teach people, and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but. Um, but it wasn't connecting to their, you know, to their friends and their neighbors and the people they go to school with and they work with and all mm-hmm. of that. And um, it was, we needed to figure out how to simplify. And and we well, we already were praying about starting a church. Yeah. You know, the, well, the Burns specifically, Scott and Melissa had this desire to go start one in Ohio, where she was from. That's, I mean, that's their whole. That's another story of kind of how God was working in their life. But they had this call to go back to Ohio to help start churches in Columbus. 
And, um, and so we saw that as an opportunity to go and kind of learn. Mm -hmm. If we're going to start something from scratch, start something over, how would we do that in a way that tries to keep this as the main thing, right. discipleship? And allowed you to think um, about it on a very basic, yeah, fundamental just, level. Just to like, we don't have, we haven't started anything that we have to maintain. Yeah. So like, okay, how are we going to do this? What does that look like? And, um, and that's what we spent the last nine years doing and they're still doing as you think through back the uh, about the church in Corona, or just like bigger churches in general, like yeah. a thousand isn't obviously huge, but it's right. it's big enough to feel a little bit small if you're totally. a regular attendee. Yeah. Um, like, how how would you encourage those size of churches to, um, I guess, either to simplify or to kind of al allow the programs to be subservient to the greater purpose, like the greater kingdom purpose of right, the church. Right, Yeah, I mean, I think you can do it at any scale. I th I'm sure of that. And, and we're now we're a part of a church, again, that's larger. And so there's nothing, I would never say that your church needs to be a certain size mm -hmm. to be healthy. I, think, I, I really genuinely think you can be healthy at a lot of different sizes. You can be an unhealthy small church. <laughs> right, sure. Right, for sure. You could have a church that is small and everyone knows everyone, but it's super unhealthy and is not doing what God's called it to. And so you can scale it for sure. I think it's just always coming back to the question of, like, is discipleship our main thing? Not just a side ministry or a side program, but like, is it what we're about? Making disciples of one another and the world around us. Mm -hmm. And then... Are, is what we're doing accomplishing that hmm. and viewing everything we do as a part of that. And if it doesn't in some way, if it doesn't fit and it's a barrier to it, then why are we doing it? And just being willing to put everything on the table, mm -hmm. you know, and that's hard because that also means people's job descriptions. <laughs> sure. You know, it means you're putting like, you're putting yeah. people, you know, employees on the table to say, Hey, we may not need this person to do hmm. this if this isn't, actually making disciples doesn't yeah. mean obviously you have to fire them, but it just, sure. it does mean like everything's held loosely of right. what are we doing? Just breaking down assumptions on a day, on a, on a seasonal basis. Yeah. Thing. But, yeah. And, but like even that can become difficult too, right? Cause then you feel like you don't want to feel like you're constantly rebuilding. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to make so many assumptions that um, you become the type of, environment where it's like well we do this because we've always done it this right. way and right. so figuring out where the i don't know if balance is even the yeah because right you could just... you do need to test things for a while and right you know you can't just try it for a month and be like well that didn't work let's do something different and you know sometimes you need to try something for a while and yeah and see is it accomplishing what we want it to yeah um but yeah at some point there's a there's a time where you say this isn't this isn't doing what we needed to do and yeah. so let's Let's refocus. And I would say, I would think, I would think too that, like, depending on how big the church is, you, if you are a leadership, because I think in general, a lot of people like a sense of stability, right? Yeah. And if you're constantly changing things and you get change fatigue. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. people might just be like, I, I don't even know if this church has an identity, right. so to speak, except yeah. for its uh, desire for constant change. Yeah. And I don't say that, uh, it, it, obviously, in our conversation, we're not going to solve the problem. Yeah. It's just, it seems like a, uh, a difficult one to, um, yeah. To understand in its intricacies, but then also try and yeah. um, figure out in its different contexts, right. too. 
Yeah, and I I have not had to lead a church, a large church, through trying to either re, you know change its identity or refocus or rethink what they're doing. Um, there's a, there's large churches that have totally shifted kind of how they do ministry and what that looks like, and some that have done it successfully, and some that mm. it's, it's it's not gone well. And yeah, so I I would not be an expert at that at all, but I think it re- required a lot of prayer, yeah, for <laughs> and a sure. lot of patience and uh, wisdom. Thanks again for downloading and listening to episode two of my conversations with Ken. In the next episode, Ken uses the lessons learned in Southern California as a launch point to share about church planting in Columbus, Ohio, and the process that has led the flowers to the greater Seattle area. Until next time.